A very warm welcome to the latest episode of My Middle East, Embrace the Middle East's very own podcast series. I'm Tim Livesey, CEO of Embrace the Middle East, the UK development charity, and I'm hosting this series. Through conversations with people who really know and understand the Middle East, we want to get behind the headlines to explore the real challenges and the everyday realities of life in this complex, beautiful, and sometimes troubled part of the world. In this special standalone episode of My Middle East, I'll be talking to someone who doesn't know the Middle East in the way that my other guests do, who in fact has only visited once. I'm talking to a colleague, Beth Amphlett, who visited Lebanon just a few weeks ago. Welcome, Beth. Lovely to talk to you. Well, Beth, um, you're a very special guest. And that's because, as you know, uh, usually I'm talking to somebody who's lives in the Middle East or knows been there many, many times. In your case, this you've only been once, right? And recently. Yeah, so I went a few weeks ago. Um, and yes, my first time to the Middle East, my first time to Lebanon. I've got lots of vivid memories now of, of what I saw, you know, people I spoke to. Yeah, it was a very eye-opening trip. I, f- I feel privileged to have been able to go. So we'll try and unpack some of that. And I know that you were visiting Embrace the Middle East partners in Lebanon and, and some of the projects that they're running. And, you know, in the week that you spent there, what gave you the greatest joy? Yeah, it was a bit of a whistle-stop tour. We went around lots and lots of different projects um, that Embrace supports. I think I think I managed to visit most of them. You know, I've heard a lot about the projects. I've read a lot about the projects before going, but that doesn't really replace the kind of actually being on the ground and seeing it and the kind of the vibrancy and energy that I felt while I was there. Everyone we spoke to, whether it was staff or whether it was the people, you know, who are actually finding some help through the projects. Everyone was so enthusiastic about, you know, how the project was helping them. It was, it was really great to see. I think one of the things that really stuck in my memory was we visited quite a few education projects that embrace help. Um, there's several across Beirut that we help out with. And in every single one, what struck me was the studiousness of the children. They were really, really taking their education seriously. And I get, you know, for them, I guess it is their potential route out of poverty. You know, it's their hope for the future. And so it was really inspiring to see the importance that, that, they, that they were placing on it. And we visited one in particular at Hadi, who work in a very informal settlement on the edge of Beirut. Going around there it was was kind of mud roads um, and very poor quality housing really kind of damp and small overcrowded you know really challenging place to live and a lot of the children there obviously have missed out on education or have not had a chance for education a lot of the settlement is made up of Syrians who've you know fled from Syria and Tahadi had quite a few stories of children um, and how desperate they were to get into the school that they run had you run a school for I'm not entirely exactly the ages but it's you know primary school and then they're helping um you know secondary school children as well to get to get to further education and further training and they had quite quite a few stories of there was one girl who you know been waiting for a place for ages to get into the school and when she was finally told that she had a place apparently she burst into tears and you know was crying for for a long time just with relief and joy that that she'd been given given this place and apparently her mother then said that you know the the, the first day of school then she got her mother up at 5 30 in the morning because she was so excited and enthusiastic and not wanting to miss her first day at school 
And then there was another story that really touched me. There was um, a boy, a 15-year-old boy, they said, who'd been working fixing pots and pans and that kind of thing, you know, to make a living. But what he really wanted to do was be educated. And again, they, they were struggling for places at the school. And the only place they had for him was in a class of 10-year-olds, and you know, 14, 15 year old boy, um, you know, having to sit with 10 year olds is not great for, for street cred and that kind of thing. So they were a bit worried about, you know, whether he'd be happy with, with that arrangement. But he was, when they, when they asked him, he was overjoyed that, that, um, he'd been given that place and, you know, turned up every day, really enthusiastically joining in with his lessons. So stuff like that, those kind of stories, um, were really heartening to, to hear and, and to see. Well, it's wonderful to hear that. I mean, we also know that Lebanon's been going through a really, really difficult time over the last two or three years. Um, you would have seen some things that, that that impacted on you in a different way. I mean, what are the things that you saw? Can you give us a sense of the kind of things you saw that made you yeah, a little bit sad inside? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's definitely the, the level of poverty there is now and and the growth in the need for the last few years because, you know, it's been getting it's been getting worse and worse and worse for you know, three years. Humans are, are great at coping to a certain extent. They can cope for quite a while, but they reach a point where they can't cope anymore. And people are reaching or have already reached that point in Lebanon now. And it's it's really sad to see. I mean, one of the the things that really sticks in my memory is we were um, taken up to the Becca Valley by another of our partners, Morath, um, and they um, help uh, a lot of the Syri- Syrian refugees. There, there's a lot of informal Syrian uh, refugee camps. We visited one. It was late October, so it was a sunny, quite warm day. Even in those nice weather conditions, I was shocked at the conditions in the camp. When we got out of the car, the first thing I noticed was this acrid smell of smoke it was like the smell of burning rubber plastic that kind of thing really caught caught in the back of your throat really nasty and it was coming from a campfire these ladies uh were trying to boil a big big pan of uh, water and they told us they they didn't have any proper fuel any wood they couldn't afford to buy any so they you were burning whatever they could things like old shoes and clothes and that kind of thing so that kind of gives an impression of of the level of poverty that they've now reached. They told us that life in the camps is, you know, becoming increasingly unbearable, I think was the words they used. You know, one family was kind enough to, to take us into their tent and to show us what was there, which was very little. I mean, it was a tent that was, um, was sort of made of a wooden frame with tarpaulin kind of over the top. I saw on the roof wedged in between the wooden frame and the tarpaulin was lots of bits of cardboard, which I presume was there to create extra insulation. I mean, the temperature in the Becca can get down to minus 10 in the winter. They told us that last year there was a huge snowstorm and the weight of the snow had actually broken the uh, wooden roof of their tent. They showed us, I could see where where the wooden slats had been obviously broken and, and had been bolted back together. And, you know, thinking of somebody in the snow in a tent like that is pretty unbearable. And, you know, their story is probably um, repeated up and down the Becca Valley. There's so many refugees in similar situations. You know, our partners, Marath, are doing a brilliant job in getting blankets and stoves and fuel to these people to help them survive the winter. But yeah, the uh, the level of need is uh, is quite overwhelming, I think, at times. We went to another of our partners, Betelneur, 
who work in Bouchamoud region, um, which is uh, an area in Beirut, again, a, quite a deprived area. Um, and they were telling us they run um, education projects primarily, but they were saying that they now started to give out food parcels because they said you can't teach a child who's, who's hungry. So the children are coming to them so hungry that they can't concentrate on their lessons. So they're now giving out food parcels to try and help with this. So, yeah, stories like that really, really touchy. You know, to some extent, you will have been prepared, in theory, at least before you went out because you, you, you know, you work for Embrace. But were there any things that really took you by surprise? I mean, I don't think partic- completely unexpected. I think it was more my reactions, I guess, that I was surprised by. I mean, Lebanon obviously has a reputation. It's, it's a lovely, really beautiful country. But most of the time on our trip, of course, we were visiting the, uh, the poorer parts of the city of Beirut. And as we said, it's a city that's been coping with this terrible economic crisis for the last three years. And, you know, a lot of the, lot of that is visible now. You can see the hardships. And I found, I found the place, the bits we visited quite oppressive and depressing in a lot of ways. Um, things like, you know, the streets at night were very, very dark. There's often, there's no streetlights anymore because of the limited um, electricity, the really noisy generators because, you know, governments can't afford or can't supply more than about an hour, I think we were told, of electricity a day. So the people who can afford it have to rely on generators. There's now a lot, a lot of rubbish in, in, in the streets that, that we, we went to. Apparently, you know, rubbish collections aren't regular. You have to pay for them. And we saw there's quite a lot of places, corners of streets where there are these large biffer bins where, you know, rubbish is collected. And quite a few times I saw children, a big plastic bag, kind of systematically going through the rubbish in the bins, collecting out stuff that they could sell, you know, recycled stuff and that kind of thing. Seeing that was difficult. Families have got to that level of desperation that they're sending their children to go and sort through rubbish to try and earn some money. So things like that I did find quite difficult. And another thing we went, we drove past um, Bayreuth Port, where of course there was the uh, large explosion two years ago. And seeing the scale of that was really surprising. I mean, I'd, again, I'd seen it, obviously I'd seen it on videos, knew how big the explosion was. But again, just seeing it with your own being there was very different. We could stop, there's a big main road, drives through, drives past it, and we, we could stop and have a look at the port below and you could see the silos and the, the huge pile of rubble that's been left. Um, and it still seemed to be smoking two years later and there was still smoke rising from it. I mean, there's been a, quite a lot of rebuilding as well. Behind us on the other side of the road, there's lots of, there are lots of high rise buildings, some of which had been rebuilt and repaired. Um, but again, there were lots of others, um, where you could still really see the damage that had been caused. So things like that, I found, uh, my, my emotional reaction to seeing things like that was, was a bit of a surprise to me how, how much it, it affected me to see it with my own eyes. Obviously, you weren't there as a tourist. You, you were going with Embrace the Middle East. You were meeting some of Embrace's partners there. These are partners working to, to help to lift people up in very difficult situations and in this very difficult situation that the whole country is facing. There must have been things that, that despite everything, things that you saw, people that you met that gave you hope. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, having thoroughly depressed you with um, with some of the some <laughs> of the sadder stories. Yeah, no, there was a great actually. There was a huge amount of hope uh, I found as well. Again, visiting the projects, the adaptability of the projects and the way they have managed to cope with the rise in demands is is incredible. We visited another partner, the Karagusian Centre, which is a healthcare centre who offers primary healthcare and. When we visited, it seemed really, really busy. There was every single waiting room was full of people. There were people, you know, sitting up the stairs while they while they were waiting. But apparently, we were told that actually we visited on a Monday and it was actually a um, a public holiday. So we were told that actually this was not busy. This this was now quite quite a quiet day for Karagizian. The Karagizian have seen a huge, huge rise in the number of patients who are now visiting. Apparently, back in 2020, they had 70,000 patients a year. And this year, it's going to be 200,000. So huge, huge increase. And yet, they're still managing to you know, help all these people. And um, the dedication of the staff was amazing. They, they was, you know, so professional um, and the level of care they were providing was brilliant. And they also took us to see a new building just about a street away, bought so that they can expand the centre so they can increase the amount of help they're giving, which which was brilliant. And I got to Hadi again, school that I spoke about earlier. At the moment, they run two shifts at the school to try and get as many children into classes as possible. But even that is not enough to to help everyone in the settlement. So they're also starting or they've started this learn at home program where they're training up women from the settlement to become teachers uh, so that they can give classes in their own homes. And a lot of the classes help particularly children, particularly Syrian refugees who, because of, you know, what they've gone through, have missed out huge chunks of their education and are quite far behind where they would normally be at their age. And so that, again, is expanding the amount of help that's being given. Another one, the last day we visited Learning Centre for the Deaf, where they've just, we've just, in fact, Embrace helped fund uh, a new solar system where they, so they can get their electricity and their um, air conditioning the new solar panels uh, which gives them you know much cheaper electricity and in fact much more reliable electricity than they've been able to have and this is something that a lot of our partners have been doing i think in fact most of them are now switching to solar energy which is which is great you know in terms of the project and also the wider implications of of switching to to solar as well so so yeah so there's a lot of really positive things as well that you know despite the problems the increasing needs and also of course the problems of funding for our partners themselves because they're not unaffected by the whole economic crisis it's becoming increasingly difficult for them to to get the funding to get the medicines or the other equipment and uh, resources that they need because of the economic crisis and yet despite all that they're still managing to not only maintain the level of help they've been giving, but in many cases, expanding it as well to meet the increasing need, which is hugely encouraging, hugely inspiring. Beth, thank you very much for sharing your first impressions. I appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners appreciate it. We don't normally do this on the uh, My Middle East podcast, but I'm just going to ask you for one last thought. It, you know, if, if somebody's listening who doesn't hasn't been to Lebanon, who may not be as familiar with some of the issues that, that you've outlined and the challenges that the country is facing, if you had one thing to say to them, what would it be? I mean, I would say visit Lebanon. It's, it is an amazing country. Uh, just reading about what's been going on is, is no substitute for going if you can. I mean, I had a great time 
in in the week experiencing all different aspects of Lebanon. It was it was lovely. The people I met, every single person was amazing. The food, obviously, you can't not mention the food in Lebanon. <laughs> also brilliant. So yeah, I'd say definitely try and go if you can. Thank you very much, Beth. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the My Middle East podcast. Do watch out for the upcoming series, which launches in January. If you'd like to make a donation to Embrace's Winter Appeal for Lebanon, please go to the homepage of our website, embraceme.org. And thank you again for listening.